Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm John Hodge, joined by J.C. Abbott. Today, we are going to spend the entire show breaking down Tuesday's CFL draft. 72 picks in the book, J.C. You've already analyzed all of them on our YouTube live stream. I've already written off all of them for the website, but today we're going through team by team, west to east, from B.C. all the way to Montreal, hopefully Halifax someday. Breaking down each team's draft class, five minutes apiece. How pumped are you? I'm fired up. And unfortunately, no Atlantic Schooners picks yet to break down. But <laughs> we will hit all the other nine franchises. Some interesting draft picks, some surprises, some reaches perhaps. But some solid draft classes as well that I'd like to get into. And there were a lot of Maritimers selected in the draft. We had Lucas Cormier, we had Aiden John, we had Reese Martin. We're going to talk about all those guys, but you know, maybe maybe that Theo Grant there, Theo Grant, another one. Yeah, lots of them. Uh, I think the number of people from New Brunswick in the CFL like tripled in one day because I think there were only two heading into the draft, and now there's there's substantially more. That's exciting. So let's start off with the BC Lions. The BC Lions selected Francis Bemi, defensive lineman out of Southern Utah, with their first pick. They had seven picks in total. First six were used on the defensive side of the football. JC, this is the team you cover for Three Down Nation. I'd love to hear your overall thoughts on BC's draft class. Yeah, well, again, the philosophy for the Lions the last couple of years has been to add athletes on the defensive side of the ball, long, athletic, physical players that they can that can help improve that special teams unit that has been so maligned over the last little bit, I think they did that again. Francis Bemi at number nine does not fit a need for them because they are already loaded at that defensive end position for Canadians, but he was the best available player on the board by a wide margin, in my estimation, at pick number nine. He fell into their lap, and when you have a defensive lineman with 33-plus-inch arms, that lower body, that production, at the NCAA level, you can't pass it up. So he just makes the rich richer in that regard. He can be in the rotation with Matthew Betts and, and David Menard taking over from some of their later round picks from a year ago who filled that role. And then I really like the choice of Saruman Harrison Bagayogo in round two at, at 14, a guy who, based on talent, should have been at the top of the draft. But there's some questions about how he'll fit scheme-wise I know we had this conversation, Hodge, early in the draft process, trying to peg where some of these guys would go. And I had mentioned, well, I think BC needs to add a corner because they've had Hakeem Johnson there for a long time in that depth role. They've been comfortable starting him on occasion at that field side cornerback spot. Now Harrison Bagayogo can come in and be that guy for them now. You're going to have to teach him how to tackle a little bit better, but he's the type of guy that you would build a defense around if you were going to start him. They've got some depth there with Adrian Green. They may be adding a few more free agent pieces as well in the near future. I could see this being a team that slowly transitions eventually to starting a Canadian full-time at that field side position. And Baggy Yogo has an upcoming rookie minicamp invite from the Kansas City Chiefs. Obviously, he could earn an NFL contract with that. So maybe a little bit of risk here for the BC Lions, though admittedly those rookie minicamp invites literally rarely lead to contracts south of the border. There were some questions that I got from our listeners, viewers, readers 
about Francis Bemby going ninth because he was rumored to be going even with the number one pick. Now, I don't think that was ever the case. I think Ottawa had decided for a few days leading up to the draft that Dante Bull was the guy, as reflected in my second mock draft. That being said, I did suspect that Bemi was going to go certainly in the top five, if at the latest at number five to the Montreal Alouettes, a team that he grew up idolizing. That was a shocker to me, though that group of off of, of defensive linemen, I should say, that included not Tavius Robinson, Tavius Robinson, fourth round pick to the Baltimore Ravens. He's not going to play in the CFL likely ever. If he does, it's going to be many, many years before we see him. But the group of four, Francis Bemi, Lake Corte Moore, Luol Ugoak, and Anthony Bennett is a group of four that I think every team across the, the CFL probably had in a different order. Obviously, the Riders liked Lake Corte more the most because they took him at three. Uh, clearly, the Montreal Oets had Luol Ugoak rated higher than Francis Bemi because they took him at seven. Clearly, the Bombers had Anthony Bennett above Francis Bemi because they took him at eight. Uh, but I agree, Francis Bemi, or pardon me, uh, uh, they took Anthony Bennett. But Bemi at, at nine for BC is very good value. I don't know where the Lions had him on their board. If he was the fourth out of those four, well, hey, the other three were off the board, but my suspicion is he would have been higher because he was our highest rated of the four, JC, though. All of them inevitably went in the first round. I like the selection of Marcus G. Losher, a very quick uh, DB kind of linebacker hybrid out of St. Mary's. His father, not in McKay Losher, played for the BC Lions for a while. And I also like the, the choice of Winnipeg native Charlie Ringland out of Saskatchewan in the fifth round. Ringland probably would have been a second or third round pick had he not suffered a torn ACL at the CFL Combine. So he's a player who the Lions will not have in 2023, but this is kind of a futures pick where you can get a nice value for him in round five. The only catch is you have to wait for him for a year. But once he arrives, you're getting, again, great value for, for a guy you're otherwise getting in the fifth round. Yeah, and by the way, I will say to our listeners, I have this on my Twitter feed. It's on a few other Twitter feeds. If you haven't watched the video of Troy Cowell, eighth round pick, 70th overall selection, get picked out of Minot State, the CFL's first draft picked out of Minot State, and I think it was 17 years, get drafted. It is fantastic. He's in the locker room watching with teammates, family, and friends, and they go absolutely ballistic for him going with the third last selection, an awesome moment. And one of those draft moments that remind us why we love this event so much. Yeah. And especially so late in the draft, it just proves to you that it doesn't matter where you get picked. Just the selection matters so much to these young players coming into the league. Troy Cowell, great flyer in the eighth round because of his size and length. If you can mold him a little bit at the professional level, there might be something there, a diamond in the rough. I also love the pick of Charlie Ringland. To me, he was, you know, near the top of my board. I think he's a future starter in the defensive backfield. He's that athletic, a guy probably more suited to safety, but could also be part of that corner rotation given his length and his speed. Uh, you know, 33 inch arms for a defensive back is absolutely bonkers. And he, that's what he possesses for the University of Saskatchewan. BC has shown that they're willing to wait for these draft picks, right? They took Roger Varga a year ago, despite the fact that he said he was returning to school. And they're going to uh, be very happy with that decision this year, I suspect, because Roger Varga is going to be a dominant special teams player as a rookie. Charlie Ringland in 2024 will be in that same mold. Well, and you mentioned the cornerback situation in BC. Charlie Ringland obviously has the athleticism to play 
that spot. One of the top testers from the combine for sure. Let's go on to the Calgary Stampeders. We're heading east, JC. First round pick, they take Cole Tucker, receiver out of Northern Illinois. They did not have a second round pick. In the round three, they take Quadjo Bowen out of Alberta, Clark Barnes out of Guelph. I'm curious, your take on the Stampeders draft class as a whole. I think these two receiver picks are absolute slam dunks for the Stampeders. They needed to add some depth there. They're going to start two Canadians. Jalen Philpot obviously has one of those spots on lock. He looked like a tremendous player as a rookie, a future star in this league. But the other spot we've often maybe critiqued the Stampeders for taking some big-bodied late-round Canadian and sticking him out there, even though he doesn't maybe bring the most value to the roster. I think Luther Akunavan, who might be that guy this year, while they bring along Rice and John, get him to shed some weight from his time as a tight end in the NFL. But Cole Tucker can step in and start right away as a rookie if you need him to. He is that good. He is that dependable. Nice, big, physical player really good understanding of space and how to get open. He's going to contribute for the Stampeders. And then Clark Barnes is a little bit more similar to Jalen Philpot, right? Great athlete, can help you in the return game, maybe needs to develop a little bit more in terms of his durability and his effort level, leads to learn how to be a pro, but the talent is there, right? That is not uh, in question, his athletic ability those two players can really help the Stampeders if one of their starters goes down next season. Well, you make a great point about Philpot. He struggled with, with durability, as has Clark Barnes, right, at the U-Sports level playing at Guelph. So if you have both of them, theoretically, you only need them both for nine games, right? You have one play half the games, and you have the other be healthy for the other nine games. But the, the receiver position, I, I want to highlight it as well, JC, because this is a spot that has been, frankly, a sore spot, I think, for the Stampeders. They they had Richie Sandani, who I don't think was a starter, starting caliber receiver there for a while. They had Herji Mayala, who had a great rookie year in 2019, then fell off. They they drafted Travel Pinto out of UBC. He never played for the team due to legal troubles. They drafted Rice and John. Well, he goes to the NFL for three years. Suddenly, this is a group that I see as not only being no longer a detractor for the Stampeders, but this is a group that I think is one of the best receiving groups in the CFL. You've got Jalen Philpot, who I hope will take steps in year two, because, man, he looked good in year one. And then you add in Cole Tucker, you add in Clark Barnes, and then you also, as you mentioned, Luther Hakanavanu, who's been impressive out of York. That group of four is a really solid group. And then Rice and John, obviously, coming back from the NFL at 250 pounds, six foot seven. He can create some wild physical mismatches on that offense. So I'll give the Stamps credit for that. Also, Sebastian Howard, I'll throw him out as well. Converted receiver to tight end, six foot five, 220 pounds, runs a four eight, though he's probably a good candidate to send back to school. He could be somebody who also causes some mismatches for opposing defenses. Four seven one at the invitational. He was slower at the national, which is that yeah, four wow. eight that you're listing off there. That's crazy. You, you think about him and Rice and John, they can play basically the same position, right? With their height yeah. and their size. You probably want to bulk up Howard a little bit more over the next little bit, help him with that diet and nutrition that he struggled at with a, a student budget for St. Mary's. 
but certainly sky high potential. There's some nice picks for the Stamps as well along the defensive line. I really like Quajo Bowen. I know you do as well, Hodge. And, and Ryan Leager, I thought, was a very underrated player throughout this draft process. Really technically sound at defensive end. But the big one that jumps out for me is a potential name to keep an eye on is Campbell Fair, the kicker from the University of Ottawa, simply because we've seen the Stamps make these selections in the past, trying to prepare themselves for the eventuality that Rene Perrier's will retire at some point. We know he's coming back this season, but it's been floated out pretty consistently over the last number of years that he may be done in the near future. Campbell Fair needs to improve his accuracy a little bit, but he's gotten better at that every single year he's played. But huge leg. Hit a 55-yard game winner last year against Laurier. That's tied for the third longest field goal in U Sports history. So you know he has the leg talent to, to, to contribute at the CFL level if he gets the right coaching. As, as we've seen, you know, Calgary's special teams unit, the best in the business for a long time. He's going to get a chance to really improve by spending time with them in training camp and potentially throughout the season. The only knock that I'll give the Stampeders draft class is the lack of what I would call a top-tier offensive lineman. And we know that this year's offensive line class was not very good. 2024 is supposed to be fantastic, which means that the Stampeders should have the opportunity to add a blue-chip blocker next year. But they took Alexandre Marcoux out of McGill, a four-year starter, who primarily played tackle with the Redbirds, will likely slide inside to guard or tackle, or pardon me, to guard or center at the CFL level. He's a developmental guy but he's already 25, which is a bit of a weird combination. Usually when you're taking a developmental guy, right, he's 21, 22, you send him back to school and you bring him along slowly. At 25, there's a little bit of pressure, I think, to to maybe develop him a little bit quicker than might be possible. The Stamps have fantastic starters along that offensive line, JC, but they only have five Canadian offensive linemen under contract. They've had a few picks in the last couple of years, not return to them, choose to retire instead. And so that is something I have questions about. If the Stamps stay healthy along the offensive line this year, they're in great shape. If they have a couple of long-term injuries, that could be a problem and potentially something they could have addressed in this draft. So we'll have to wait and see. The Edmonton Elks will go up next. Number two overall, they take Michael Broderick of the Université de Montréal. After that, they get local Jake Taylor out of Alberta, the defensive back with the Territorial. And then with two third-round picks, they take Philip Grohovac, offensive lineman out of Western, long snapper Luke Burton-Cron out of UBC. Ya boy, JC, Luke Burton-Cron. What are your overall impressions of Edmonton's draft class? Well, they certainly got better on special teams, right? That's without question. They got some big, fast physical bodies. Michael Broderick is a guy who can eventually develop into a starter, similar to Adam Konar in a lot of ways. Um, But right now it is going to chase down kicks for you at a very high level. You love his speed and his range, his lateral quickness. He ran a 4.59 40-yard dash at 222 pounds. That is, at least at the CFL level, elite, right? He, He blew up the CFL combine. So, you clearly see why Edmonton coveted him as highly as they did. And then Jake Taylor is an even better athlete at 216 pounds. He just happens to play defensive back. He's a little bit of an awkward fit 
But if you can take him and maybe mold him into more of a linebacker, improve his in-the-box physicality, he could be a real steal there at 18. And a guy whose athletic potentials through the ceiling is going to be a mismatch for whoever ends up blocking him in kick coverage, just because he is so fast and so big, there are not very many guys in the league who are built with his physical mold. And then Luke Burton Crag is, is the same sort of deal right now. He's listed as a long snapper. I'm going to be very interested in training camp to see what happens there. Cause obviously the Elks drafted Peter Ajay, from Queens University last year, extremely highly for a long snapper. He played all their games, did a really good job for them last season. Now Luke Burton Cron can come in and compete for that long snapping job, which will be interesting to see. But he's also super athletic that he can play other positions. He can contribute at linebacker. He can contribute at defensive end. He can run down in other spots on special teams. So he's not a wasted pick. If you prefer to go with Ajay next year as your snapper, he's going to contribute regardless with incredible length and size and athleticism. So he, this versatility that the Elks have added at the top top of the draft is really going to help them in multiple phases of the game. Yes, and Edmonton's special team units for the last couple of years have been somewhere between bad and terrible. Let's just be quite honest. Their cover teams have not been good. Their return teams have been very poor. So getting Broderick, getting Taylor, getting Burton Cron, guys who day one are going to be impactful on those units is a good thing. We also know that Kevin Francis, who the team signed as a free agent to help with those units, is currently in a bit of a contract dispute. That's probably understating it with the Elks. But uh, I like the picks for that reason, and I like what Broderick brings. Like, I think he's a great fit behind Adam Konar. Adam Konar, seven-year vet, started almost every game for the Elks last year, primarily at, at weak side linebacker, also played in the middle a little bit. To me, Broderick, probably by year two, is ready to start at one of those two linebacker spots. He's quick enough, he's long enough that he can compete in either spot. In my view, maybe a little more suited to playing middle, but he can certainly play weak side as well. And I think that this is also maybe time, JC, to dispel what we've always said about Chris Jones, at least from what I've talked to people who, who talk about how Chris Jones you know, doesn't respect youth sports or he only wants to draft NCAA guys. Well, last year, he completely breaks the mold by taking Trey Ford out of Waterloo in the first round. This year, second overall pick, tons of you know power five, highly productive NCAA players on the board. He goes to the University of Montreal, reaches across the country, which is also something I love because, and, and I think this is maybe a COVID thing from, from a lack of travel, but the last few years we have seen more than potentially ever teams just drafting based on region, right? I grab the linebacker from my city, you grab the, the linebacker from your province, and every team keeps things pretty regional. I love that the Elks reached all the way across the country to get Michael Broderick. They don't care that he's a francophone. They just think he's the best player available, and they take him. To me, that's what I want to see in the CFL draft. I want it to be a talent draft. I don't want it to simply be a territorial exemption draft. As much as it's nice to have guys play in their hometown, it's also nice when we're drafting on the talent, and that's clearly what Edmonton did here because they're not drafting Michael Broderick to sell tickets to local Quebecers. They're, they're clearly drafting because they think he's the best player available. So I, I like this. The other guy I'll highlight is Phil Grahovac. Phil Grahovac did not have a good combine, 
but he was the consensus number three offensive lineman, uh, pardon me, number four offensive lineman in this draft and number two among CFL guys, Matthew Bergeron, City Sauer, both drafted by the NFL. Dante Bull goes number one overall, and there was speculation that he could go as high as even three to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, despite being more of a round three talent. Well, every team resisted the temptation to overdraft Phil Grahovac, and the beneficiaries of that were the Edmonton Elks, who for you know a, a perfectly acceptable spot get uh, arguably, again, the second best offensive lineman who's immediately available in this year's draft. They did go NCAA with their next pick in the fourth round, and that's Noah Curtis, a guy who I discovered was added to the draft class within the last week and almost blindsided me entirely. Luckily, I found that out the day before the draft, was able to report that on Three Down Nation. Really big, long defensive lineman, 6'6", 279 pounds, played at Florida International University in the NCAA Division One before, you know, being out of football for a year after going undrafted in the in the NFL and and going back to school in the NAIA with Kaiser University had to shed some weight over the last year uh, and get back in shape. But he was added to this draft class because he attended a tryout with the Edmonton Elks. They liked him enough that they had a few conversations and they discovered that his mother was born in Canada and they politely showed him to the Canadian consulate to put in his passport application. And now they benefit here in the fourth round. He's a guy who you can potentially at that size. He is right now slip inside. He can also play outside, give you more in the rotation with Jamin Pelly there, the monster in the middle next season for Edmonton. I think that's good value. They didn't overdraft him which was my concern with a guy with NCAA pedigree and those measurables. They took him right about where he should have been taken. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders went D-line with their first round pick, taking from the University of British Columbia, defensive lineman Lake Cortemore. I know you're going to have a lot to say about Cortemore. I'm going to jump you, JC, here first by talking about Jackson Ford, their second round pick. This is a full circle story here for the riders they take a regina kid who not only played for the regina rams grew up a riders fan but is the grandson of al ford who was a legendary player and then gm of the riders one of the last moves al ford made during his tenure as the riders gm was signing an offensive lineman away from the toronto argonauts named jeremy o'day jeremy o'day now the gm of the riders made the pick for jackson ford he had a laugh with the local media Brendan McGuire, our guy, was there representing Three Down Nation and laughed and said, no, that wasn't the reason we picked Ford. We didn't pick him because he's local. We picked him because he's a fantastic player. I've seen Ford play live at the University of Manitoba when the Rams came to town. He is a sensational player and a great fit for them, given that Mike Adam was not retained following the 2022 season. To me, this is a guy you can pencil in as the Riders starting safety of the future. He's fast. He's got great instincts. He times the ball well, and he is somebody who's very physical for a player his size. I was watching a game this past year at IG Field. He smacked Braden Stubbs, the Bison's running back in the hole. His arm popped out of its socket. He went to the bench, got it popped back in, and he was in the next series. Like nothing even happened. If that doesn't scream pro football player, I don't know what does. And then they get Matt Dean in the third round out of York. 
By the way, this is another example of a not territorial pick. I expected them to take Josh White here out of the University of Saskatchewan. Instead, they go ahead and they grab Matt Dean, an Ontario kid who played at York. So I, I, I like that a lot because, first of all, it's uh, it's bucking the trend. Of, pardon me, Josh White played at Regina as well, not the University of Saskatchewan. But uh, it bucks the trend of the regionalization. And then also it's a great positional fit for a team that needed some depth behind presumed starter Micah Tights. Yeah, I've been given some flack for my criticism <laughs> of the Riders and maybe some pot shots I've taken at the city of Regina. Here, I'm going to make amends. This is my favorite draft of any of the nine teams in the CFL. I loved what the Saskatchewan Rough Riders did. Lake Corte Moore, I think we all know how much I like him as a player. I was afraid he was going to fall a little bit in this draft, but he goes right at number three, and, and that's where he deserves to be taken that highly because of the power, because of the versatility he brings. And there's some knocks on his film at stages, right? He was a little bit of a, a late bloomer for, for the UBC Thunderbirds, you know, had to grow into his body, is still developing, has not reached his potential yet, but he can help you outside. He can help you inside. He's going to be bull strong. He's got some quickness. He's adding pass rush moves. We saw through this draft process, I got a chance to watch him live at UBC. I got the chance to watch him live at uh, the Shrum Bowl against SFU. I got a chance to watch him at CGS in Texas, and then I saw him again at the CFL Combine, and each time I watched him, Hodge, he got better, and he flashed a new pass rush move that I hadn't seen in my last viewing. So he's improving, and he's dedicated to that. I think the best is yet to come from Blake Corte Moore, and he's a guy, maybe he isn't a starter for you, Maybe he's not going to be that type of guy, but I liken him to David Menard. Play inside, play outside, going to have a long, successful career, produce some sacks, always going to be that number two guy that you can lean on and give you ratio flexibility. I really love him. And then Jackson Ford, the intelligence, you talked about it, fantastic player. Matt Dean, going to be dominant special teams player early in his career. Thomas Bertrand Houdin. At fullback slash running back, he gives you that versatility, can be sort of an improvement on what they've got right now in Keenan LaFrance as he gets a little bit up there in age. I really like the traits that he brings to the table from Delaware State. And then the best pick in the draft, or the highest value, I should say, is somehow Evan Florin from Queens fell all the way to pick 57. He's a guy I had right behind Phil Grohovac on my offensive line rankings. I loved his lateral quickness and agility. I'm not sure what caused him to fall as far as he did. All of these linemen had some pretty severe flaws. It was not a great class. To me, there's no logical reason on tape why Florin deserves to be pick 57 and Grohovac deserved to be pick 20. That doesn't make sense to me. The Riders needed offensive line help. The value wasn't there at the top of the draft. They get a great player falling into their laps here. I think that's a steal of a pick. Yeah, this is something that I wanted to talk about because I had Florin going in the first round of my mock draft, and that was really the only pick I 100% completely whiffed on. I look back at my mock today. My, I'm talking about my second mock draft. My first mock draft, I got six of the nine players in the first round correctly. Not, I'm not saying I got them all with the right pick, 
But my first mock draft that happened before even the combine, six of the players I put in the first round ended up going in the first round. And Jared Wayne, who I originally had going in the first round, only didn't because he signed with the NFL's Houston Texans. On my Tuesday mock draft, my 2.0 mock draft, I was within five uh, uh, within five picks of the correct pick on 20 of 27 that I mocked, and I was within eight on 24 of the 27. So I had three misses that were kind of outside of a round, which I don't like having. Those are too big for, for my liking. Obviously, the goal is to get every pick right. Not that that's possible with 27 picks in this draft, but... The one that I really, really, really whiffed on was Evan Florin, and I'm going to spend the next week talking to sources, trying to figure out what did I miss about this kid because I, I was I thought the same as you. He's probably a third round pick from a talent standpoint. The value of O lineman means he's probably going to go around one two because someone's going to overdraft him. And not only did he fall to three JC, but he fell to four, and then he fell to five, and then he fell to six, and then he fell to seven. And that was shocking to me. I thought there were a lot of offensive linemen who weren't as good as Evan Florin, who went before him. So for a team like Saskatchewan, whose offensive line needed help last year, talk about great value. And and honestly, as much as I'm sure Florin is disappointed that he didn't go sooner, what a great place to end up. Because there's, you know, if you've gone to a team like Toronto, a team like Montreal, like teams that are just absolutely loaded at that Canadian line spot and have, you know, 11, 12 guys in front of you, Suddenly you're going to a situation where you're like, hey, if, if if I show the coaches what I can do and I show that I can improve, I might only be a year or two away from starting. And that's a good place to be. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers chose Anthony Bennett out of Regina with the first pick in the draft. They go to Jake Kelly out of Bishops in round two, Jeremy Murphy out of Concordia in round three. I'll start off with this one, JC. Kai Walter spoke to the media at IG Field on Wednesday morning. I was there. He talked about how Anthony Bennett reminds him of Willie Jefferson and viewers of our YouTube page. And and for clarity, he talked about that as a personality comparison. They do play the same position, though not very much alike. Anthony Bennett is much smaller body, 6'1", 229. He wins with quickness and speed. Willie Jefferson at six foot seven, you know, he can win anyway because he is so powerful, so big, so long with that seven foot wingspan. But Anthony Bennett is a player who he talked about being unbelievably infectious from a personality standpoint. He's engaging, he's bubbly. And uh, Anthony Bennett spoke to the media uh, via conference call at noon today. I was on that call as well. And he talked about, I can't wait to play with Willie Jefferson. They haven't met yet. They haven't connected, but they are going to. And I can say this, they are going to be thick as thieves i can already tell they are huge personalities and if you're someone who reads our bombers content or reads bombers content from other publications get used to seeing and hearing from this kid because the bombers admittedly as much as the team has been great on the field aren't known for having the most engaging personalities or at least the most forthcoming guys with the media that's why you see guys like willie jefferson get requested by the media all the time because they're fabulous quotes Anthony Bennett is going to be a fabulous quote, and the reporters in Winnipeg are going to be asking to talk to him all the time. Yeah, I, I read your uh, your article on Anthony Bennett and Kyle Walters' comments about his draft class this morning, Hodge, and and to me it it raised a bit of a red flag, and that's because Kyle Walters talked about entering this draft concerned about filling needs and filling them in a certain priority order. 
And to me, that's just not a very good way to draft. And it highlights some of the issues I maybe have with the Bombers draft class. Anthony Bennett is a great player for for many of the reasons you've touched on, but he was rich for me at number eight. I felt that was a reach. I also felt that Jake Kelly was a major reach at pick number 15 in the second round. Jeremy Murphy and Tanner Smeckle, those are acceptable positional fits that also were at the right value. But those first two picks were big-time reaches, in my opinion, and you never want to see that. You never want to put yourself into a position like that as a general manager or as a talent evaluator where you're reaching in order to fill a need. Always draft best player available. And then if there's a few guys that are similar, then you can allow need to break a tie. But you're not drafting just for next this next year. You're drafting for the future. And you, quite frankly, won't ever really understand where your needs are down the line. And you can create new needs by drafting good players at positions you didn't really expect. So I'm sort of lukewarm on this draft class as a whole because while I like the two players they took with their first two picks, they went way too high for my liking. Um, got some some decent value in, in Smeckle and Cornelson and McDougal in the middle rounds. Uh, and then Jonathan Rosary, don't see a ton of value in him late. I'm not sure where you play him, whether running back or receiver. And Max Charbonneau, their final pick, is just a special teams guy, which admittedly Winnipeg has done as good a job as anybody in the entire league of taking late round special teams picks. So I expect that he will be a contributor for them in some way because they do a really good job in that respect. I'm just concerned that they may not have added as much talent as they could have with those first two selections. I'll agree with you on Jake Kelly being a bit of a reach in round two. I think this is a team that probably wanted to find a guy like Jackson Ford out of Regina at that spot, a guy like Lucas Cormier out of Mount Allison with that spot. Those DBs were off the board. Jake Kelly is a freak athlete, arguably the best raw athlete in the entire draft. And by the way, as a draft nerd, I feel the need to note this. He's the first Bishop's pick in five years. The last one was 2018, Matthew Breton goes to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, an O-line, D-line kind of hybrid guy, six foot seven, huge body. One of the most frightening players I've interviewed at the draft. And I don't mean that in terms of his personality, just in terms of how physically large he was. I'm six two. I do not feel short next to many people. I felt very short next to Breton. But getting back to Jay Kelly, I know Walters talked about how DB coach Jordan Younger was really impressed with how he is able to time the football from his safety position at Bishops. He did say that that Kelly can be a sloppy tackler. He needs to hone that skill and refine that skill. He is guilty of being one of those DBs who sometimes just tries to kind of torpedo receivers in their legs rather than actually making a form tackle. But Walters did say that Kelly does like to get physical. It's not that it's a fear of physicality that stops him from doing it. He just has to learn the technique, which he can do at the professional level. I will strongly disagree with you about Anthony Bennett. I think Anthony Bennett his pro comp is Kwaku Boateng. Boateng came out of the draft at 6'1", 233. Bennett is 6'1", 229. So they're basically the exact same size. And Kwaku Boateng has been able to rush the passer just fine with his current frame. Anthony Bennett tested better than Kwaku Boateng did. He was more productive at the U Sports level than Kwaku Boateng was. And 
he's 26, which I know you don't like, JC. He had this very long college career. He played five years at Florida Atlantic, two years at the University of Regina. He thinks it's an advantage. He told us that at the combine, that he's a mature guy who's going to come in and be ready to go. He's not going to be nervous. He's not going to be a wallflower. He's going to be somebody who seamlessly makes the transition to a pro locker room. And Kyle Walters, I don't think he, he, he didn't go as far as to agree with that. He didn't say it's an advantage, but he said it's good that benefit that Bennett feels it's an advantage. And he also said he doesn't perceive it to be a disadvantage because he said we're a team that's looking to win now. And it's clear that the Blue Bombers, as much as that mentality I fear is going to catch up with them in a year or two, where suddenly they have to completely destroy their roster as everyone ages out at the same time and the team's going to take a huge step back in the West Division. That assessment is right, at least for right now. You are the best team in the CFL. You've been the best team in the CFL for the last three years. You've won two great cups. You've been to three. Why not add a player in the draft who's going to immediately be an impactful pass rusher? Let's forget, or let's not, let's not forget. This is a team that lost Jonathan Kongbo to the NFL, who was a key part of that defensive rotation. They never were really able to replace him. So Anthony Bennett becomes the new Jonathan Kongbo as a rotational player along Richie Hall's defensive front. I think he's going to be highly productive, JC. I think he's going to make you eat your words. And for what, for what it's worth, Bennett remembers talking to Mike O'Shea at the combine. Osh loved Anthony Bennett, but said, look, kid, I don't think you're going to be there when we pick at eight. But if you're there, we'd love to take you. And so evidently the Bombers thought he was going to go much higher than he even did at eighth overall. I, I hope I'm wrong. I just find there's a little bit of delicious irony here. This is a team we've often criticized for not getting younger every single year, simply getting older. So now they're just taking it the next step and drafting grown men who are older than I am in the first round of the CFL draft. Well, Personally, hey, I would I would have rather gone with pick number eight with Lucas Cormier or Jackson Ford, maybe a little bit of a reach, but not much, and then come back in the second round. Heck, you could have taken Aiden John, who I think has a higher ceiling than Anthony Bennett is, does because he's younger and he has skills that you can develop. When when you're Bennett's age, it's, it's – you're more – polished product right now you just don't have the same developmental upside and Kwaku Botang, the comp is a good one but Botang was 22 and he was able to add weight the hamilton tiger cats are up next this is a team that had the fewest selections of all nine clubs across the cfl they only had six picks and only one in the top 30 or one in the top 28 i suppose they had the 29th pick in the fourth round with their top selection, they take Dayton Black out of Saskatchewan. This is a player we've talked about before, but I think it's Bears repeating, JC, because his journey to the pros is unprecedented, I think, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, this is a kid who was a high school quarterback at six foot five, 250 pounds at that time, and not just a high school quarterback, a record-setting high school quarterback quarterback set the single season passing record for Winnipeg high school football and then went to the University of Saskatchewan there were teams in U sports that thought he could play quarterback at that level he was that good but Scott Flory saw himself an offensive tackle and he was right and he brought him along slowly spent one year on the defensive line and then a few years sitting behind Noah Zur who of course went last year to the BC Lions got his first chance to start this season, was a Canada West all-star at left tackle. 
and I know some people will look at our offensive line rankings and they'll say, well, he was ranked, he was rated below Phil Grahovac and he was rated below Evan Florin on our rankings. I think that's a little bit deceptive because I had serious considerations about placing black as the first offensive lineman behind Dante bull. I opted against it simply because he's not there yet, but he has undeniably the highest ceiling of any of these prospects. And I think maybe even a higher ceiling than bull in the fact that he's still learning the game, right? He has the ideal frame. He has all the traits you're looking for to potentially be a ratio breaking tackle, but also to move inside to guard. If he can thicken up his lower body a little bit and and add a little bit more bend in that capacity, it's going to take him a season or two, but Hamilton's in a position where they don't have an immediate need for a starter, right? They've got a good group of offensive linemen, a very highly paid group of offensive linemen, which is going to cause them problems in a couple years' time as these contracts expire and guys are looking for new deals. They needed to replenish their depth with somebody, but they could also take a guy who doesn't have to be ready year one. He can be ready in year two or year three to step in, they can develop him behind Chris Van Zyl and get one of the best Canadian tackles in, in CFL history to teach him how to play that position because Dayton Black has all the skills you look for to be that guy. And I don't think the Ticats had much of a choice here. When you've traded your way out of all of these picks and you only have one selection in the top 28, you need O-lineman, you got to go there. I think that this is a reach, to be perfectly honest. That's no disrespect to Dayton Black, who, as you laid out, JC, could develop into a ratio-breaking offensive lineman. But a guy like him would usually go in round three, right? A kind of mm-hmm. boomer bust, tackle prospect. He's only started one year at the U Sports level. All due respect to Saskatchewan, which has become an offensive line factory. That's not a lot of games for a guy who you're taking sixth overall. And this is why you need to hold on to your picks, right? I'm not saying that the Ticats trades were bad to get rid of the selections. But what I'm saying is when you do that, this is the other end of it where you go, okay, this is a kid we could potentially get in round two, maybe round three, but we can't not get him. So we're taking him at six. Um, After that, I was really interested with how, the Ticats basically just doubled down uh, on getting special teamers. Patrick Burke Jr., Robert Panabaker, a couple of DBs, you know, who might be able to contribute in like a very depth kind of way behind Tunde Adelike and Stavros Katzentanis, two guys who I think are, frankly, two of the best Canadian DBs in the entire CFL, but guys who I think they're hoping to turn into the nar- the next Mark Beswick, guys who are, you know, U Sports uh, DBs who become you know, rock star special teamers at the next level. Reese Martin is the other guy I'll highlight in the fourth round. I think that's good value out of Mount Allison. 6'3", 278, a big body in the middle, but a guy who wasn't maybe as productive in the AUS, a weaker conference, as scouts wanted to see. So I think that's a great value for round four to get a guy who's got all the physical tools and say, okay, now can we coach him up to be that next best thing because as you said jc ted Laron's not going to play forever i feel like we've been saying that for five years now like oh well ted Laron's going to retire soon and it never seems to happen i know you guys were, were making jokes about that on the the live stream last night but um yeah to me this is probably the weakest you said the riders was the best to me this is probably the weakest class but that is 
more of a of a reflection of the limited number of picks, I think, rather than the picks that were made. And and again, the Thai Cats got assets back for those picks, which should be considered as well. But when you look at the the nine draft classes, this is the one that to me maybe has the least impactful group outside maybe of the one we'll talk about next. Yeah, are we even sure Ted Laurent is corporeal anymore or is he more like a ghost <laughs> sort of phantom out there on the field? I mean, he's still an effective player in stretches, don't get me wrong, but boy, yeah, he, oh boy, every single year we're like, this is the year where Ted Laurent re- retires. He's still there. Another one-year contract, pay him big bucks. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I have the same thoughts on this draft class. Uh, I wasn't super in love with the picks. To me, Burke and Panabaker, special teams only guys. Martin, there's upside there because of his length. And then Josh Heyer, I think uh, depth defensive lineman, not a very high ceiling, but somebody who you know is functional and physical enough to play inside or outside, maybe some depth there. The, the pick that I want to highlight is their final selection because it's – my favorite selection that they made, and that's Caleb Morin, the receiver from the University of Saskatchewan. I think this guy is much better than an eighth-round pick, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him stick around in some capacity, maybe go back to school and then come back a year from now and, and make a roster because he's limited by his speed, but he's a great route runner. He's ex- He's got great change of direction ability. He's super smooth and he separates despite the lack of speed. Good possession target. A guy who's got good size and length for the position. Had a difficult collegiate career at Saskatchewan. Walked on with the Huskies. Was not a top recruit. Uh, Didn't see the field much for the first few years and then suffered a few injuries. Really was not productive at all before this season when he broke out and put up 750 yards in a prolific passing offense and was sort of the safety bl- blanket for quarterback Mason Nias. We've lo- we've seen the, the Ticats add some receiver depth over the last little bit. Obviously, they've got Tyler Turnowski, Keandre Smith, who have contributed there. They've signed Richie Sandani, Chris Osikusi, and also Levi Noel. But Caleb Morin is a guy I like better than a couple of those players. And I think he can come in. And if the Ticats eventually shift down the line to two Canadian receivers, he'll be a nice depth piece that they can fall back on. The Toronto Argonauts did not have a first round pick. They traded that in order to get linebacker Jordan Williams from the BC Lions, a former first overall pick. Their first selection didn't come until 16th overall when they punted. They took a future at this selection, taking Jared Wayne out of Pittsburgh. JC, do you think this is a pick worth the risk? I don't personally. And part of it's because of the Argos positioning, right? If you don't have a first round pick and this is your first pick of the draft at pick number 16, you have to make it count, right? You cannot draft exclusively for the future you also have to be cognizant that you could go into training camp and all of a sudden have a bunch of injuries and have needs now right it's always better to add pieces now jared wayne if he comes to the cfl i think becomes the league's best canadian receiver i am that high on him but i am so high on him that i think he sticks with the houston texans right his route running ability his physicality his size uh 
I think he's a guy who ends up either making the practice squad or making the back end of the roster and sticks around for at least a few years. I wouldn't be surprised if he saw the field with the production that he put up at Pitt. So this is a very risky gamble for the Toronto Argonauts, and it's especially risky when you don't have the draft capital to be able to add other pieces to compensate for that right now. Somebody might argue that the Argos have great Canadian depth, and that's true. But that's something we said a few years about ago about the Ottawa Red Blacks, right? After they had won a great cup, but how great their Canadian depth was. And at that time, the GM, Marcel Desjardins, decided to take a future-only approach to the draft. He's like, we didn't need Canadian talent now. And within two, three years, it had all fallen apart. and He was out of the job. Right. So as a GM and, and as a scouting staff, it's imperative that you add talent that can help you right now. You can't take a futures only approach. And unfortunately, I think the Argos gambled a little bit too much with taking Jared Wayne with their first pick at number 16. So just to be clear, what you're saying is everyone in Toronto is going to get fired. That's that's <laughs> I, I mean, like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying they're taking a big <laughs> risk. They're taking a big risk. I, I love that staff there in Toronto. Do not get me wrong at all. And they've they've had some great draft picks in the past. They've, they've added, I think, some decent players at the back end. But really, you could have added an impact piece at 16. And if Wayne never comes to the CFL, that's going to look like a big miss. It really is. Now, if he does come to the CFL, if I'm wrong, and he doesn't make the Houston Texans, that all of a sudden the staff in Toronto looks like geniuses and I'm eating my hat and I'm comfortable with that because that means I get to watch Jared Wayne play football in the CFL. And that is very exciting to me because he is a damn, damn good football player. I I think what you said is fair. I will agree. This to me is closer to the bottom, but again, in terms of the draft classes, this is one that did not have a top 15 pick. And when you don't have a top 15 pick, that's an issue. They drafted Adam Gilmet out of Holy Cross, the long snapper in the third round. He is a sensational long snapper. The issue is he's a long snapper, which is obviously not the sexiest pick to make in the third round. That is a pick based on need. Spencer Nichols, I think, is a nice kind of utility ad, a guy who's got some upside as a pass catcher and as a runner, but is going to make his living blocking and on special teams. And then I like the addition of Edward Paradis and Anthony Vandal, two offensive linemen in rounds five and eight, respectively. Neither of these guys were among our top five offensive linemen. It was already a pretty thin O-line draft, but I like the idea of getting two guys late. I know Vandal has some U-sports eligibility left, so he's easily a guy who you could send back to school. I know that some guys drafted out of the NCAA, uh, I think um, like from last year we saw, uh, was it, uh, oh, I'm blanking on the name, this is going to kill me. Uh, but but we saw a couple guys in U-sports, UBC, the safety, you know what I'm talking about. Zach Herzog. Jack, Zach Herzog, exactly. So we've seen NCAA guys do that, where they get drafted in the CFL and then play U sports for a year. And for a team like Toronto, which I will go on the record as saying, I think overall has the best Canadian talent in the CFL right now, can afford to can afford to do. So no, not the best draft class of the bunch. But if you, again, imagine Jordan Williams as being part of this class, which they essentially got right for their first round pick. Uh, I, I like it as a group, though. Again, it's 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 among the weakest here when you just look at the selections that were made on Tuesday. The Ottawa Red Blacks. 
Go ahead. Sorry, I, I just want to highlight a couple names at the back end do, who I do think deserve some some credit for being maybe being sneaky picks by the Argos here. Richard Burton at pick number 47, the receiver from Queens. I know a lot of teams really liked him, his intelligence as a route runner. Not the fastest guy, not the quickest guy. Really good understanding of space. I think he's an improvement on some of their depth pieces at receiver. And then Brendan Murphy, a uh, defensive backslash linebacker from Western who also played at Guelph for two seasons. Not the most athletic guy, but I think he's going to be a top-tier special teamer. He falls to pick 63 because he's currently battling an ACL tear, and he will not be ready until September. So you're sending him back to school. He's a futures pick of a sort as well, but a guy who I really like in terms of being a punishing downhill hitter. I think they added value there with that selection. The Ottawa Red Blacks got the entire draft kicked off with the selection of Dante Bull at first overall. My original mock draft had Jared Wayne going one. He obviously dropped as a result of signing in the NFL. By the way, in case we didn't say this number earlier, I don't think we did. He got over $200,000 guaranteed from the Texans to sign with them. To me, that is assurance that the team really likes him as much as no, he was not picked in the draft to me, that is, especially for a, a team that's developing, a team that doesn't have a lot of offensive weapons, that's a good place to be if you're Jared Wayne. That's top tier UDFA money. Not that a lot of guys will get more than that. Absolutely. That is that is true PFA. A PFA, by the way, stands for priority free agent. In other words, the very best players who are still available after the draft is done. Um so, yeah, you're really rolling the dice by by taking Jared Wayne in this year's draft. But Dante Bull went with the first overall selection out of Fresno State, born in Victoria, B.C., played for the Belmont Bulldogs in high school, played for the Fresno State Bulldogs at the college level, will now be playing for the Ottawa Red Blacks. Uh, but he's a player who was only available because he suffered a broken leg partway through his final season at Fresno State. He is not fully healthy, but I don't think he's far away. He's six months post-surgery at the moment. Uh, my sources tell me he's probably going to miss about the first month of action, but he is going to play in 2023. And again, this is a player you're getting likely because of the injury. If he was healthy coming out of college, he would probably, uh, well, he would certainly at the very least be a rookie minicamp invite for an NFL team. If not, he would assign with a team as a UDFA alongside Jared Wayne and Jonathan Sutherland. So, JC, your take, is it a good pick? Is it a bad pick? Yeah, I, I, th- I think it's a good pick simply because of the value of what Bull can potentially give you. And that's a starting Canadian right tackle, right? This is a massive, massive man, right? arguably in some cases too massive. He's got sort of a weird body shape, skinny lower body, and then massive up top, sort of built like an upside down bowling pin. But a mauler in the run game can absolutely dominate people at the point of attack because of his size. There's some questions about his foot quickness, and that is a major concern for me, especially with his body composition. Is he going to be able to handle speed at the professional level? Because it gave him some troubles at Fresno State. It really did, but he makes up for it with length. He's got almost an 84-inch wingspan, and, and for the uninitiated, what that's going to give you is added you know, reach and extension 
to be able to move defensive ends around the outside of the arc and push them past the quarterback. Even if he's a half step behind them, he's got that length to be able to get that last shot off and keep Jeremiah Mazzoli upright. So a guy that could potentially be a ratio breaker for you at that position, and you already drafted a guy a year ago in Zach Pelos, who I think has some versatility as a tackle as well, perhaps provides some depth there. Dino Boyd currently penciled in as a starter, but I'm not sure he's the type of guy that you say is absolutely locked in at that position. If Dante Bull can come in, get healthy, and prove he's a starting caliber tackle. That's an excellent pick at number one because it allows you to go with four Canadian offensive linemen up front, which is so impactful for the ratio. I think he has tremendous upside for Ottawa. And this is a team that selected Zach Pelios. Everyone says Zach Pelahos. It's Pelios with the second overall pick in last year's draft, who is going to get the opportunity to compete at tackle as well. That's something CFL teams have been struggling with, is with the USFL, with the XFL, larger practice rosters in the NFL, there are very few offensive tackles out there on the street. So if you could take a spot that, you know, maybe five years ago, it's like, okay, there's five Americans on the street who could maybe fill this job for us. Well, now if, if there's none, why not make it a Canadian spot? And Dante Bull is the only player in this draft who in the near future could conceivably start at offensive tackle. The only other one who I think could ever start an offensive tackle is Dayton Black, who for the reasons we've laid out with the Ticats is going to be a few years away from being able to do that. If ever he is a project, Dante Bull is not a project. Dante Bull, 33 starts at a power five school played against some exceptionally talented players started against cave on Thibodeau in 2021 when Fresno State played Oregon for the uninitiated, Thibodeau was the fifth overall pick in the 2022 NFL draft to the New York Giants. Bull, by the way, had a good game against him. So I like this pick for Ottawa. I also really like Lucas Cormier in the second round. The The Red Blocks are not a team that really needs DB help, but Cormier popped at the combine. He's a big body kid good cover skills. He's fast. He's going to be great on teams, really good depth at that defensive back position. James Peter, they go local. They get a, a linebacker who's he's only 5'10", which I thought might hurt him in the draft. It didn't. He still goes 12th overall. And then you mentioned Aiden John earlier as a guy who's got really high upside. They get him at 19 out of St. Mary's. He was a physical freak at the combine, six foot three, close to 250 pounds. And I think he left 35 inches in the vertical jump. I think he's only played about 15 career youth sports games. But he's a guy who could really develop into a pass rusher off the edge. And for a team that's got Deshaun Stevens in the building, that's got uh, Kenny Onyeka in the building, right? Canadians, Nigel Romick, who have some experience rushing off the edge. I like the addition of John as uh, a bit of a project there. Yeah, I, I think this draft is almost the reverse Winnipeg Blue Bombers. We talked about the Bombers maybe reaching for positions of need. There's a lot of picks here where Ottawa just doubled down or added depth at positions where they were already strong because it was the best player available at that spot. And as a result, I really like their draft class. I got no critiques here all the way down. I thought they added great players, people who can contribute on special teams. Now, as a result, I think they're going to have to send some guys back to school or cut some very good players in training camp. But that's a position where you want to be as a CFL team is having 
too many good players. That's a good problem to have. And you think about James Peters and uh, and Josh White, those are taken in the opposite order that I had them ranked, but two exceptional linebackers who bring special teams value. Aiden John, I think, is fantastic as a player. Really like Daniel Perry as a receiver. Him and Daniel Oladejo are going to add some much-needed depth in that Canadian receiving core for the Red Blacks. I thought they got great value with Quentin Segan at pick number 46 and Alexander Fedchun at 55, guys who can contribute in the defensive line rotation, but also on special teams. And then maybe my favorite pick, a guy who I've held very close to my heart throughout this draft process. That's Amlakar Polk from the University of Ottawa, a backup running back who's only five foot nine and 198 pounds, but an absolute dog on special teams. 22 career special teams tackles for the GGs. You know, he's going to have a tough time because of his size at the CFL level. But in round number seven, you're adding a guy who has specialized in that area of the game and who is a high character local player. That's a fantastic addition for the Red Blacks. Our last draft class to discuss, JC, we've made it all the way east, is the Montreal Alouettes. They take Jonathan Sutherland at five, which I think was a little bit of a surprise, not just for you, but I think some teams that were making picks. I had heard a rumor that the Owls liked him at seven. Let's remember the Alouettes had two first-round picks. They had BC's first-rounder at seven following the trade for Vernon Adams Jr. They used that pick on TCU's Luel Uguak, defensive lineman. Your take on Alouette's top two picks in this year's draft. Yeah, I'm, I'm not loving their first round, to be honest. And, and that's not a shot at Jonathan Sutherland, because I do think he is one of the best defensive players in this draft. And if he comes to the CFL, it's going to be a guy who can play some safety, but potentially start at either weak side or strong side linebacker for you. A very, very good player with great instincts, high character Really greased up hips, as you know I like to say, Hodge. But for me, it's risky to draft with your first pick in the draft a guy who has signed an NFL contract. And I don't think Sutherland has as good a shot to stick around with the Seattle Seahawks as Jared Wayne does with the Houston Texans. But he's certainly a guy you're going to have to wait at least half a year on. And you needed to replenish some of your linebacker depth because you just lost Chris Ackie to retirement. So I'm, I question why you wouldn't go elsewhere with that first pick instead of Jonathan Sutherland, who has that risk of potentially being able to stick around with Seattle as a great special teams only player, because he was so dominant in that phase of the game in college. And then Luau Yugowak, I know we have a difference of opinion similar to we did with Anthony Bennett on him. He's just not a guy I would have taken this highly or taken the risk on. I have some serious concerns about him because of how he struggled to make the jump from UConn to TCU. And let's make no bones about it. TCU may be a a great college program and they played elite college football teams when they were on their run to the national championship. The CFL is harder than college football. Every dude in the CFL was one of the best players on their college football team. That is the reality. It's, you know, anyone who says, you know, a college football team could beat a CFL team is absolutely bonkers. 
And so we saw Luol Uguak struggle after being a relatively productive defensive tackle for the Yukon Huskies, just having difficulty even getting on the field last year for the Horn Frogs, only producing nine total tackles and then shedding a bunch of weight for no reason whatsoever, in my mind, in the pre-draft process, you're going to need to beef him back up to play defensive tackle in the CFL. And I struggle with his balance. I struggle with his play strength. He's got some twitch. He's got the length you look for. But I'm not sure I would have taken him at seven if I was the Montreal Alouettes and I needed help right now. Yeah, I think general manager Danny Machocha has been criticized at times for taking too many French Canadians, right? Like there have been jokes made about like, oh, well, if you speak French, you'll just get taken by the Alouettes. Well, this, I think, (laughs) disproves that or at the very least throws a wrench in anybody who's making that argument because Francis Bemi was right there. A kid who grew up loving the Montreal Alouettes, you know, grew up idolizing. We talked about the combine. We got it on video. I've written an article off of it. Anthony Calvillo, he talked about SJ Green and the amazing catches that he made. He talked about growing up watching John Bowman, who's now the D-line coach in BC, where Francis Bemi ended up being selected, which is kind of cool. But when it comes to the Alouettes, right, Bemi was right there on the board. And they still took Yugoak, who's a kid who grew up in Edmonton and uh, played at UConn, which I suppose is not terribly far from Montreal, but then finished his college career in Texas, of all places. So... Same position, right? Similar draft grades, and yet they take the kid who's from out west, which was kind of interesting. But um, to me, they they go David Dallaire. They needed a fullback. They get a local fullback and the best fullback in the draft at 13. I like Theo Grant a lot as a developmental O-lineman. Moves really well. Only 280 pounds, so he needs to put on some weight, but he'd be a great candidate to send back to school, especially because the Owls are pretty loaded at Canadian offensive line right now. They've got a ton of them in the building. He's a perfect pick for them to send back to school and get again in 2024 when hopefully he's in the 295 to 300 range rather than at 280. And I like the pick of Chase Brown in the seventh round. Is he going to play in the CFL? Highly doubtful. But if he ever comes to the CFL, getting him for a seventh round pick is laughable. And unlike some of the other Canadians who we saw taken in the in the NFL draft where, you know, O-linemen, D-linemen are highly coveted down south, running back is arguably the most uh, dis, uh, I would say disposable position in professional football. The NFL likes to take in NFL running backs, chew them up and spit them back out. And so if there's ever one of those five guys who got picked in down South, it who, who's going to come to the CFL. I, I think it's uh, it, it's chase Brown, who was the last of the five picked. He was taking the fifth round. And again, he plays a position that the NFL does not hold in high esteem, certainly relative to others like edge rusher like offensive tackle and so forth yeah the the two picks that i really like are are a couple that you didn't highlight david delaire of course really nice uh, versatile h-back who needs to build on his frame but i almost like jacob jacob mason from mcmaster a little bit more as a true fullback i think he'll be a guy who can potentially within a year or so uh, supersede James Tuck and Alexander Gagne in that role because of how physical and nasty and mean he is as a blocker and and what he does on special teams. I like a lot of his demeanor and what he takes to the field with. 
And then their final pick, and this is another one you mentioned, Troy Cowell, back when we talked about the BC Lions in our first segment and the reaction to him being drafted. Well, we saw the same thing here with their 68th overall pick for the Montreal Alouettes, Maxim Lavallee from Laval, a guy who is undersized. He's five foot eight, 190 pounds, but a really damn good football player, former RSCQ rookie of the year, multiple time RSCQ all-star and, and a four year starter at safety for that program. Extremely twitchy, great athlete and reckless with his body. He will throw himself into contact without any concern for his own personal safety. If anyone can exceed the limitations of his size, it's a guy like Lavalle. And to go to a local team, to be able to have that moment with your family where you're, you hear your name called and everyone is celebrating around you. It's, it's truly one of those special CFL moments. And I was glad that video was shared online just to just to show it to people because I'm rooting for Maxime Lavalle to have success with the Montreal Alouettes. All in all, JC, it sounds like your favorite draft group was Saskatchewan. Your least favorite class was Hamilton. Is that fair to say? Uh, I think that's fair. Hamilton and Toronto are fairly close for me. I wasn't in love with either of their drafts. I don't think they're necessarily bad drafts. They're just not as good as everyone else's. They didn't add as much value. Part of the reason why is because they didn't have premium picks to add top-end talent. They were a little bit limited in that regard, so you can let, let them off the hook. I think my two favorites, Saskatchewan would be number one, and then Ottawa number two. I really liked what both of those teams did yesterday. Okay, yeah, you took my top. I was going to say Ottawa is my top, but again, Ottawa did obviously have a big advantage given that they had six picks in the top 25, including mm-hmm. four in the top 17, five in the top 19. Um, and obviously they, they got the number one pick, which is, or at least is supposed to be uh, a big advantage. Now let's say this too. We've been critical of a lot of these prospects on this show, on the live stream and in our coverage leading up to the draft, because that's our job. But if you are a prospect listening to this podcast, or you are the family member or a friend, of a prospect listening to this podcast. I want to say, first of all, if you've heard us say something nice, congrats, run with that. If you've heard us say something critical, I invite you wholeheartedly to prove us wrong. Use it as motivation. Get out there and work because at the end of the day, as we've seen year after year with first round busts and late late round gems, there are fantastic CFL players who have gone late or unpicked and there are lots of guys who go first overall or first first round or top 20 and never do a thing in this league. So the draft is over. Where you got picked no longer matters. Get to work because no one would be happier to be proven wrong than us if we said something negative about you. If we said something positive, please prove us right because we, we want top-tier talent in the CFL just like anybody else listening to this podcast. So make it happen. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Hodge. It's not what happened yesterday. It's what happens next for each of these players. And even the ones I'm critical of, even the ones I thought went a little bit too high, they have a trait or they have a talent that made that team like them that much. And and that's very real, right? And we can point to the flaws and everybody has them. But if you can lean on your strengths and you're in the right situation with people who believe in you and put you in the right system, anything is possible. And I hope that in 
two years, I'm discussing Anthony Bennett and Lawal Uguak as the two best defensive linemen in the entire CFL because they made me eat my words. I really do truly hope that that is the case because I'm rooting for every single one of these Canadian-born players to have success at the next level. We thank you, as always, for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. We'll be back next Wednesday for another episode, which also happens to be the day that rookie mini camps start. That is right. We are that close to the start of the CFL season. So we'll see you then for our next episode. Take care.